Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who keep me loving, learning, and growing every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, perhaps you've made the mistake of cutting your child's sandwich into triangles instead of squares, or you've dealt with siblings that won't stop fighting, a child who refuses to get out of bed or cries when you try to leave the house, and perhaps your child struggles, tantrums, their refusals, frustrations have gotten a little bit under your skin and made you mm, hot under the collar, and while you tell yourself to be patient and loving, you start yelling or threatening, bribing or caving under the pressure. We get it. So many parents feel helpless and desperate and frustrated when their kids just won't cooperate and seem so unreasonable. And you're just trying to get out of the house. You just want them to get into bed or get to the dinner table. My guest today will give us what to do and what to say in these frustrating moments using their ALP system that they've taught thousands of parents to be able to do in their clinical practice over the years. Now, Heather Turgeon, MFT, and Julie Wright, MFT, are the authors of the new book, Now Say This, The Right Words to Solve Every Parenting Dilemma, as well as the popular sleep book, The Happy Sleeper. Based in New York City and Los Angeles, they frequently speak and offer consultations to families on communication, setting limits, with empathy, sleep, and more. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook at The Happy Sleeper. Welcome, Heather and Julie, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled to have both of you, and it's always special to have more than one uh, one person on the show at a time talking about the same thing so we get some different perspectives. But before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your books, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and how you wound up getting so interested in helping parents find the right words to say in those frustrating situations with young kids? It's such a good question. This approach actually grew many years ago out of our mommy and me classes. It's a, it's a topic that you don't expect to confront in baby's first year, but what we found is that parents were all of a sudden realizing that their babies around seven to nine months old didn't want to get their diapers changed, didn't want to be put in the high chair, didn't want to, you know, wanted to touch things they weren't allowed to touch. And all of a sudden they found themselves having to set limits with, with babies. And um, I was the one who was um, working a lot with the Mommy and Me program. And I realized that I wanted parents to have an approach that was easy to remember and effective and that 
help them from the very beginning. Mm. So that was exciting. And what we found over time was that they loved it. At the end of the year, we'd say, what was your favorite topic? And ALP always won. Mm. You know, parents started using it as a verb. You know, I, I alped her, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and we thought, you know what, this is great. And then we started working. Heather and I started talking more about it and working with it with the approach in our private practice and we got the same kind of response and we thought, I mean, it spoke to us more strongly than almost anything else, this idea of, of connecting and attuning and ultimately it's, it's about kindness. You know, it's what we all need in our difficult moments. So it really felt so close to our hearts. So getting out of bed and being excited about it is something that we have felt for so long and we're so excited about the book. Well, I'm excited about it, too. It really is a book that lays everything out very easily, methodically, but not in a cut-and-dry way, like just in a really easy and accessible way. Chapter one of your book opens up with a question, and it, it took me in immediately. She said, do any of these scenarios sound familiar? Your kids will not brush their teeth or put on their shoes. You feel as though you are always nagging. You eventually snap and raise your voice and then feel bad later. After asking your preschooler five times to turn off her iPad, her only reaction is to have a meltdown on your living room floor. Your children tease, provoke, and even hit each other. You repeatedly insist, be nice to your sister or brother, but peace only comes from separating them. Well, I don't know about everyone else, but these scenarios have certainly been played out in my house multiple times. So I want to find out from you about the system that you use, that ALP, to guide people, your parents through how to respond to these frustrating situations, such as the ones that I've just described. So what is the magic system? And how does it work? And we'll get more into it as we go down, you know, go through the interview. But I'd love to get a sense of what it, what ALP is, what does it stand for, what what's the whole use of it? Yeah, well, the those scenarios that you just um, listed that are really common ones are most people have a knee-jerk reaction to either be very stern and harsh, like turn off your iPad, I said no, or to cave and be too permissive and feel sort of walked all over or, or powerless. And um, they are pretty good at empathizing and being warm, but they aren't very good at holding limits. So um, ALP is the, I mean, the magic sauce of ALP is that it encompasses everything and you start by attuning, you lead into limit setting and you end with problem solving. It's three steps, attune, limit set, problem solve. So you can say, I know it's so hard to turn off the iPad. I really get it. I, I've, I, I know that video games are so fun. You, you're, you know, your mind probably feels so caught up in it. I totally understand. It is time to come to the dinner table. So we are going to turn off the iPad right now. You can turn it off yourself. I'll give you five more minutes and you can turn it off yourself or I'm going to help you do that. Um, parents love it because in the heat of the moment, that, you know, they may have read the most beautifully written parenting books on, you know, and various philosophical information about, um, how to be a good parent. But they, what we found is that our clients were going like, well, what do I actually say in the heat of the moment? I forget. I've forgotten everything. I don't know. Um, and so having three steps really makes people feel like they are, they can be warm and understanding. They can set a limit and they can move through the situation in a creative way. And it just hits all the bases. It really does. 
It, it does. It makes so much sense to me, too. And this podcast is all about tips and scripts, so it fits in so nicely with what I do. Uh, and, and I feel like you're right. People always ask me what to say in, in different situations, a little bit different from what you're, you guys are asked about, but, uh, but it fits so nicely into the way that I think. And, and in the heat of the moment, it is hard to come up with the words. And so having a system makes a lot of sense so that we're able to do it. Now, you say in your book that feelings need a place to go, and sometimes they come out in an external way, sometimes in internal ways. So what are some signs that we could look for as parents or even as teachers or coaches that would tell us that the feelings aren't coming out in a productive way? They kind of need to come out, but they're not coming out in productive ways. So what are some signs that we might see of them coming out in, in not such good ways externally or internally? Yeah, we talk about looking beneath the tip of the iceberg to what's mm-hmm. really going on. But the tip of the iceberg is is almost anything that we would call acting out behaviors, which I think is an interesting term. We hear it a lot, but we don't really think about what it means. You know, you might get called into the school because your child's exhibiting acting out behaviors, and we know it's bad, but we don't think about where that term came from. And what it really means is that they're acting out their feelings with with behavior that's not appropriate, like could be physical aggression, could be non-cooperation could be um, having temper tantrums or bad moods. It could be almost anything that you would categorize as a difficult parenting parenting moment. But what you're really wondering is what's really going on. What is your child really feeling? Why are they having, why are these behaviors coming in? Why, why do they not just tell us what they're feeling? I mean, the ultimate goal of all of this is for our children to be able to tell us how they feel and not have to act it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they wind up doing things like biting or hitting or brooding or hiding under the table. And then we wind up trying to correct that behavior when actually, as you're talking about, the, that's the tip of the iceberg. We need to be looking below the surface to find out what's really going on underneath the surface that's making these behaviors come out in ways that are not appropriate. So I know that you have throughout your book, it's so well done that you have these examples of different attuned responses that you do advise versus automated responses that you don't advise. So I'd love to do a little, you know, don't say this, say that. So I'm going to ask for the, the uh, maybe automated response and then the uh, attuned response to just a few common scenarios. So the first one is um, your child doesn't want to get out of bed and get ready for school. What's the automated response versus the attuned response we, we would be advised to do? Well, the, the automatic response is, come on, you got to get out of bed. You, you got to go. We got to go to school. You're going to be late. Mm-hmm. Um, or you love school. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to go to school? You love school. The attuned response is something like, hard to get up, huh? It's feel like you're feeling kind of cold. Maybe you're snuggled up in your blankets. It's hard to start, hard to get started in the morning. Mm. Just, so you, just to be clear for your audience, because a lot of people, when they hear the A step, they go like, but that's just push, you know, you're just being a pushover. You're not, what you got to get things done. So we always, 
you know, like to remind people with the A step that we're going to move through to the L step. And this is not, you know, you're not saying that your child's going to be under the covers for the rest of the day. But boy, does it help. Boy, does it help to let them know but that you understand that it is hard to get started in the morning. You, yeah, it's you, one of those things we skip a lot, right? Yeah, exactly. That response, we go right to the, you know, let's go, let's get out, yeah. we got to move, you know, we're not going to yeah. have time to eat breakfast. Not that that's ever happened to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, your child wants a toy from the store when you are there to buy a present for a friend's birthday. I know that's a common thing to happen. So what's the the automated automatic response versus the attuned response to that? Okay, that is a common one. So the automated response is no. I said no. We're just buying a gift for your friend. The attuned response is to take a moment to look at the toy that the child is holding and say, I see, I see what you're holding and it looks like you really, you do really want that. It looks like something you'd like. Again, you know, there is a limit setting step coming next, but that's right, the way right. to, and, and you know, what could be included in that one, depending on the age of your child, it's that pause, it's that moment where you really take them in and they really feel like you're, you're joining with how they're really feeling in that moment. And you might even kneel down and, and take a good look and say, that does look like a really cool toy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's such a connecting moment and they feel felt in that moment to use the words of Dan Siegel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had him on the on the podcast. Did too, you? And yes. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So, how about your child tells you that someone was mean to her at school? You know, the mama bear, papa bear response. I'm sure is coming for the automated. But let's do automated. The automatic <laughs> response. Ah! Automatic <laughs> response versus the attuned response. The automatic response really depends on the parent. So a lot of people would say, oh my gosh, don't play with her. Wait, Mm. she said something mean. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You you know that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why did she do that? That's so mean. Don't play with her. We want, I mean, we're, yeah, we want to protect our kids and it's, it's hard for us when they share a difficult moment with us. So something Mm -hmm. that sweeps it under the rug or you jump in and say, don't play with her. Mm-hmm. And the, attuned the attuned response, yes. The attuned res- uh, response is, wow, it seems like you had some feelings about that. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Tell me which, what she said. How were you, how did you feel when she said that? Mm-hmm. It feels like very heard in that person. Mm-hmm. And then your child feels like it, it, it's him or her, that they feel like they're, this is their moment. They know that you're listening and that it's not about you. It's not about your response and mm. how you're feeling, but about how they're feeling. So mm. I really like that. So you talk about limit setting, which of course is a really important step. Um, and, and as you say, yes, we can empathize, but we do need to move to the limit setting aspect of ALP. And you mentioned that it's important to restate the rules, give information, state realities. So can you talk about why limits are a good thing for kids and is different from just saying no, which you don't seem to advise? And then we can also get into some examples of how to limit set, such as when your child won't come to the dinner table because he wants to play instead or or when your child won't turn off the iPad or your child is hitting another, you know, your, your sibling or something. So let's start with the why limits are a good thing and is different from saying no, which you don't seem to advise in your, in, in your book. 
Right. Limits are a good thing for so many reasons. First and foremost, you know, we do, there's so many things about the world that we need to teach our children. And there's so many rules that we have to follow out in the world in different, you know, different areas, whether we're at school or in a grocery store. And then we have, we like to call them family agreements that we have in the home. Um, So that's the beginning is that we really, there are so many things that are there in place for safety, for politeness or kindness to each other. Um, and the reason that rules actually feel good to children, holding limits consistently actually feels good to children, is that it it does just that. It, it limits their world in a way that they feel they can handle it and they feel less anxious. Mm-hmm. It, the world is too vast for them to have free reign and to have things be too open-ended. If they know, I always imagine like a corral, not that we want to corral them or fence them in, but just that they know where the limit is. Mm-hmm. It's it's not unkind. It's kind to set appropriate limits. Children feel safe and it gives them so much more time to learn, to do, to play if, if the limit is held consistently. Because otherwise, if, if it's not, they spend a lot of time trying to find out where it is. And that's kind of a waste of time if you think about it. And then it can get frustrating for, you know, for everybody as they're testing the limits. It's so funny when you're thinking, when you're explaining it, I think of it almost like limits are kind of like a hug. You know, they kind of make you feel calm and they they kind of envelop you a little bit so that, as you're saying, the world doesn't seem as, as vast and it seems very doable. Yeah. So let's say... You have a child who, um, it's morning time. Morning routines are hard. Uh, it can be frustrating. The kids don't always want to, you know, do everything that needs to be done. So let's say, um, the child is in the family room, sort of flipping around, doing gymnastics, you know, that kind of thing. And they're <laughs> supposed to be, not that this has ever happened in my house. And then, and you're, they're supposed to be eating breakfast. Okay, so can we do, can we do um, let's, let's, let's take that scenario and, and what would we do in that scenario that highlights that limit setting? Well, I think so for, in that case, you, you probably want to comment on the gymnastics first. Like, hey, you're, you're practicing your somersaults. That's so cool. I remember you did that at your, you know, exhibition last week. That's neat. You, you're learning how to do that backward somersault. Um, Take a second to do that. Take 10 seconds to do that. And, and your limit is going to be so much more successful. Mm. Um, otherwise they're just going to keep flipping around. Like, I don't think you see me. Don't you see how excited I am about my <laughs> somersaults? I'm going to keep on saying, doing it. So <laughs> acknowledge, get down, maybe do a somersault yourself if you're feeling creative and then go, you know what? I'm looking, I'm looking at the clock. And I see that we, this is the time for being at the table. This is the moment for walking over and eating breakfast. That's mm. it. That's the limit. And, and like I said, it's way more successful if you've attuned first. Right. Okay. So let's, let's do another one. Uh, your child hit her brother when he took something of hers. Okay. That one, that, that one would probably be fairly straightforward if all, if you've already attuned and you know the attuned step is is two part when you're dealing with two children but once you've attuned to both of them a very clear you would just say in our family you know we know that we 
we don't hit. It's not okay because it hurts people. So in the limit setting step, we say the limit and then we briefly say why so that over time our children feel like we're not just dictating rules. We're really telling them the reason why. So if you do that, children start to operate more from a place of principle than just Mm-hmm. following a rule it's it's you know it's a long-term project but mm-hmm. that's the idea is that we're, we're really explaining the reason why to them briefly mm-hmm. okay and then how about your child doesn't want you and your spouse or partner to leave and go out for dinner for date night they want you to stay home that's a good one um so you can say i i, I know it's hard to it's hard to say goodbye um and then you'll say, mommy and daddy have our date night and we're, we're going to go out and we're going to come back and you're going to be here with your babysitter. And I, that's really it. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just say, and really the, I think the interesting one there is going to be the problem solving yes. stuff. Yeah. We'll have to come back to that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just want to make sure people are hearing, you know, the limit setting is right there. And then yeah. let's, let's, let's repeat the limit setting, even though we sort of did this in the beginning, but, um, of your child, um, it's time to go to soccer, but they are, the child is playing on their iPad and doesn't want to turn it off. Yeah. So after attuning the limit set, I, I think in this scenario too, especially with something like screens, having a, oh, uh, you know, a minute, uh, prep step where you say, you know, Hey, it's, you've got five more minutes. Um, on your iPad before it's time to leave for soccer. Mm-hmm. Then you come in and they're still on their iPad. Um, then you would say, you know, the five minutes is up. It's, it's, we have to leave now. Um, mm-hmm. because if we don't leave now, we'll be late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's that because idea so that it's right there. So you say that, that you shouldn't rely on rewards and punishment to get a child to make the right choices. And this is something you talk about in your latest New York Times article. So tell us, why do we need to move away from rewards and punishment, something that's certainly used with a lot of kids to try to modify modify behavior, and what what we should be doing instead? Yeah, I mean, we could could go on forever about rewards and punishments, because I find it so interesting. I think it's something that we've relied on as a culture Mm -hmm. for so long that it's Mm -hmm. hard to you know, it's hard to shake off because it seems so intrinsic in parenting that that would be, you know, something that you do. You praise good behavior and you punish bad behavior. Right. And um, I mean, first of all, if we look at the tip of the iceberg idea, if you're if you're paying attention to the tip of the iceberg and you're rewarding or punishing behaviors that are outward, you know, outwardly obvious, you're missing 90 percent of your child because all of that stuff is under the surface and you're not addressing that. So there's not a lot of learning going on with rewards and punishments. Um, kids, I mean, for example, they get very caught up in um, pleasing people or they can just try to, you know, um, hide what they're doing so they don't get punished. Punishments can make kids really angry or it can sort of make them, um, it can be really frustrating and, and they can just, you know, try to skirt around the punishment. They're not really learning. They're not learning anything um, for doing that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't. We sort of just just don't think that it's an effective. And I mean, lots of research shows that punishments shut down creativity. Mm-hmm. In fact, rewards shut down creativity as well. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we really want creative problem solving to be going on in our homes. We don't want to have a black and white situation where kids are just following the rules because we say so. Mm-hmm. We want them to be creative thinkers and we mm-hmm. want them to think outside the box. And all of that gets shut down when you just reward and punish them. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And yes, of course, we want the problem solving. And that is the final part of your ALP system. So let's get into that. Uh, this is is the creative portion of the system. So how does the problem-solving aspect work? Do you involve your child? Do you provide the ideas yourself? Do you brainstorm? What do you do to get at the problem-solving? Yeah, the problem-solving step is this, it's the most fun step. It's the step where you help your child solve their dilemma, dilemma or fulfill their intention in a way that's appropriate. So you've you know, you've told them you understand what they want or don't want. You've told them what they can and cannot do. And now you're going to help them, you know, get what they want, but in a way that's appropriate. And the answer to your question of how much do you help them figure this out depends on their age and depends on their where they are in their problem-solving skills. The goal is to, you know, take yourself out of the picture because they're going to be an adult someday. And you want them to... to to be good problem solvers. So we use this term called scaffolding where when your building is young and just starting out, it needs full scaffolding. And and as they grow, you start to take the scaffolding down. So we, we definitely want them to feel like they're part of the answer and part of the problem solving. Even when they're little, you can help them feel like they're part of it. Even though we're, we're saying, well, what about, do you want to wear the orange pants or the green pants, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So problem solving is obviously very important. It engages their brain. It makes them feel useful. It makes them feel like they're getting to be a mature big boy, you know, big girl kind of thing. So if we're going to put everything together with this ALP, and let's go back to the scenario that we had just before when we're trying to leave the house and uh, go to dinner but our child doesn't want us to leave, we've stated, you know, we understand, we've told them that the limit that we are leaving and that they're going to be staying with their babysitter. And then what is the problem solving step for that? So the problem solving step, you, and this is where it's, I think, really fun to think outside the box. And you might say, okay, um, I, you know what, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to miss you too when we're gone. Can you write me a note um, while while you're here with the babysitter, could you draw me a note and tell me a little bit about what you're up to? Just, just mm. draw me a picture. Maybe if it's a kid who's not writing yet or right. um, write me a note. I'm going to do the same when I'm actually at the restaurant. I'm just going to, I think I'll make a little drawing for you too. Maybe yeah. you don't tell them that so that if you don't have a chance to do it, then you, you know, but maybe yeah. you do it and you leave it um, on the kitchen table for them for when they wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways to problem solve that, you know, feel like your, your child understands that you respect their feelings, that you're holding the limit and that you're going to be a little, I think it's nice to maybe a little humor, um, maybe, you know, definitely a lot of creativity in the problem solving step. Okay. Let's do a few more. That is really interesting. Your child wants to watch TV instead of doing homework. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a common one. Yeah. So the attune step would be, I totally get it. 
I'd like to sit down and watch TV with you right now too. Um, something joining and letting them know you really do understand. Um, the limit setting step would be however you've set up the limit around homework in your home. It's, you know, we do it every day at this time mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you've already had your TV time or we only have so many minutes before dinner, whatever the limit is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the reason is obvious, you know, because we, you know, we have to do our homework. Right. Um, that's another question altogether, but don't get me started on right. homework. Oh, yes. That's a different, <laughs> I don't even know, totally different how to, I don't know how to explain to children the reason why, because I'm not sure I know myself. But, um, you must but, do busy work. <laughs> right, right. That's a good one. So, And, and then the problem-solving step would be, um, like Heather said, we want to use our creativity and we want to use our humor, and we also um, want our children to know that, that we're not, judging them or shaming them in this moment but we can say you know do you want to move the table to a different you know move mm-hmm. it over here so you can you can sit in this part of the room do you want to have a a certain snack or something to drink while you do your homework um mm-hmm. do you want to have you know have your colored colored pencils nearby in case you want to add some drawings to your homework depending on the age of your child mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. do something to help them you know, maybe shift a little bit so that they can, they can make that transition. Transitions are hard. It's hard to start homework, you know, so getting them, you know, finding a way to get them to the table. A lot of kids like to sit at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. with you nearby and say, listen, I've got work to do, you know, you do your work, I'll do my work and we'll, we'll, we'll be close to each other and I'm going to peek over at you and you can peek over at me and we'll, we'll, when we're done with our work, let's watch a show together or something like that. So, so, so you had mentioned that you, you shouldn't be using rewards. So is it a reward to say once you finish your homework, then you can watch TV or is it something else in the scenario? That's a, that's a good question. We, we distinguish and it seems a little subtle, but we stick, we distinguish the idea of when this is done, then we'll be able to do that from, mm-hmm. If you do this, you'll get that. Mm-hmm. It seems a little subtle, but um, I think getting our work done and then relaxing and having fun is mm-hmm. is a good thing for kids yes. to learn and to feel. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same as a reward. It's it's a little more like um, uh, really related to what yes. what we've just done rather than just a reward. Yes, my children tell me like when I die. <laughs> It's going to be written on my tombstone, you know. Mom says, do what you have to do, then you can do what you want to do. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like well, that. I say that all the time, and my kids mm-hmm. would tell you because they say it at the same time as me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so funny. Great. Yeah, that is a, that's a big one. How about, um, I'm interested in the sort of two sides of this question right here. Your child keeps kicking his sister under the table. So on the one side, you're dealing with the child who's doing the kicking. The other side, you're dealing with the child who is now, like, really frustrated and might be, like, starting to throw food at the other one because they want it to stop or whining or yelling. So how do you how do you use the full system with a scenario like that when you have both children involved one is sort of antagonizing the other, and the other one is highly reactive. Yeah, Not that that would ever happen, but no. let's <laughs> say if it <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically speaking. Yes. Um, 
I think that's a great example of where I think a lot of parents, and it's very understandable, go straight to a punishment. Like if yes. you don't stop that, you're going straight to, to timeout or something like that. Right. that you're leaving the sense. table, right? You're getting yeah, out. It, yeah, yes, right. it, it makes sense. Um, so I think that in that case, I would use a prep step, something that you, this is what we, the prep step is what we do before ALP, where you say, hey guys, we're, um, let's sit down at the, di- at the dinner table. I remember last time you guys were having a little, like you were feeling kind of antsy and there was some kicking going on. Are you guys going to be okay sitting close to each other? Is that going to work out for both of your bodies and, and are in space? So that you're giving them, if this has been a repeated problem, it really helps mm-hmm. to say, like, just checking in with you guys. Mm-hmm. I trust you that you know that what's best. And I'm checking to see if you think this is going to work out for you to sit close to each other. Mm-hmm. And if they say yes, then, and then one of them is kicking the other one. I would say I would use the sports caster, which is our favorite sibling conflict tool because it's so useful and easy to do as a parent. The sports caster is where you literally just narrate what you see in front of you without judgment. So like a sportscaster would say, this is what's happening, but I don't, I'm not taking sides. Um, you would say, I, I'm, I hear someone's foot under the table and I hear somebody kind of getting a little bit uncomfortable with that. And it's kind of amazing if you just describe what's going on. A lot of times it shakes things loose a little bit and, and the kids start to say things instead of acting them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say it doesn't, you know, nothing happens and someone's still kicking. You can say, um, are you, I, I would attune and say, seems like you're having a feeling what, what's going on. And hopefully they can say, she's, you know, I, I'm, I'm mad at her or something like that. And, um, but the limit would be, we don't, I mean, we don't hit each other and we can't kick. And, um, the problem solving step might be, it seems, I mean, if it's really bad, I would say, it seems like you're having a hard time sitting at the table and, and our family agreement is that we sit at the table. We don't hit. So do you need to take a moment with me to come in the other room and calm down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, we do use calm down space, not mm-hmm. time out because yes. time out is just a punishment and mm-hmm. calm down space is actually helpful. So oh, in yeah. that case, maybe the, maybe one does need to calm down. Yes. Um, right. So, that's a complicated one, but it's it good. is. Yeah, that's yeah. why I have to ask it, right? <laughs> in our house, we call them brain breaks, you know. So, mm-hmm. they, you, know, you know, the amygdala is going bananas. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you give a little bit of a brain break, but it is it is a complicated one. Um, how about? Oh, I know a common one. Your child won't stay in bed at night. Oh, that's a good one for us. <laughs> we get this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, So we use techniques in the happy sleeper, which provide the child with security that you're there and responding. You're not just locking them in the room or that kind of thing and not responding to them at all. Right. And depending on exactly what they're doing and how old they are, are they crying? Are they, are they just getting up and coming into your room over and over again? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they're different techniques. They're all designed to give the child a, a pattern of response from you that's extremely repetitive very reliable and ultimately very boring. So you either, you know, we, we usually like if their child is young, we like to contain them in their room, you know, Mm -hmm. first in the crib, then in the room. But if they're too, you know, you don't contain a child who's about four or older in their Mm -hmm. room for that child. I mean, we've worked with so many different ages. You might just wordlessly walk them back to their bed. You might have to do it 50 times the first night, but the second night you probably do it 30 times and eventually 
you're done. Mm -hmm. I've had parents, you know, on a, on a mattress or sleeping bag right in the hallway so that they walk them back more quickly. They don't get so far. Mm -hmm. Um, it depends again, if the child's young, then we usually want the door closed and we want the parent to respond to them, Mm -hmm. um, in some way that's very predictable. We don't want the child to ever feel afraid or abandoned, but we Mm -hmm. also want them to know there's absolutely no, there's no payoff to this. There's nothing interesting or exciting going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's lots of different ways to handle it, but the idea is to, to have a pattern of response that they come to trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I remember this one commercial where the child gets out of bed and they come downstairs and the parents are eating ice cream Mm -hmm. and then terribly, I mean, (laughs) terribly, because my husband and I still remember it is that the uh, child gets ice cream uh, (laughs) at that moment. So we were like, and that's what they'll be doing for the (laughs) mommy and daddy eat ice cream when I go to bed and when I get up they'll give it to me (laughs) it was like a commercial for the ice cream I think it was short-lived because I'm sure somebody was like what are you doing I never (laughs) saw that one yeah um okay and uh your final um final one how about your child runs to grab a snack right before dinner yeah. So you, you could say, I mean, we like to tell kids it's okay to be hungry. Mm. Um, you know, not in an extreme way, obviously, but we know when, when it's, we're not starving anybody, but if we know that it's going to be dinner in an hour, um, you might say, um, you, it seems like you're hungry. I get it. You're going to get a snack. Um, we we're eating in, in 45 minutes and it's, um, you know, we, we're leaving space in our bellies until the food, until the food comes. I always tell my kids it's okay to be hungry and food tastes so much better when you're hungry. So, true. so we're going to leave space in our bellies. Um, and if it's, if it is quite a while until dinner, you might just put out some carrot sticks or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. but if it, if you're really not going to eat, then you might say, let's, you know, let's bring out a marker, markers and a notebook and do some drawing. There's your problem. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned in your book several tips that we can use within the sort of a tune limit set problem solve system. Can you give us some of your favorite tips that you could use with your ALP system and tell us sort of how they work? I mean, I know you mentioned, you've probably mentioned a couple of them at this point, but what what kind of problem, like the limit setting or problem solving tools or tune tools do you, do you love using, uh, in your system? We have one that we love. It's called the good waiter and the good waiter is just that it's the good waiter who repeats your order back to you, tells you, you know, what she heard you say you wanted. Um, and it's part of the A step so that your child feels that you heard them. So, you know, you, you could, trying to think of an example, your child could, um, you know, I mean, it could be something very related to food where they tell you, you know, I don't want my chicken to touch my broccoli Mm -hmm. and I want, you know, I want to have, you know, only honeydew instead of a mixed fruit cup, you know? So Mm -hmm. that, I mean, this is a silly example because it's exactly what a waiter would say, but you know, okay. Okay. Little miss so-and-so I, I, what I hear you ordering is, you know, broccoli and chicken that aren't touching and, Mm -hmm. you know, a fruit cup that only contains honeydew. (laughs) 
but <laughs> right, right. That's and a it, silly example because it's food related. But, but the idea but is I that think I, I get it though because you you know my child yes just yesterday she was doing getting really frustrated with her math assignment. And my husband came over to help her, and she did not want help. I want to do it myself, you know, but it would be in a time where you, I, I hear you, like, you want, you would like to do your homework for yourself, right? So it's like you're hearing what they're saying and repeating it back to them so that they know it, and then they don't really need to tantrum at that point, I guess, or yell, scream, or push you away, or say something mean. Yeah, exactly. And you can... Depending on your child, their temperament and the intensity of the emotion in that moment, if you really, you know, get, get close to them and let them show them with your face and your body that you know how much this means to them as you're paraphrasing back to them using the good waiter technique, that really helps them. They, they feel like, like you just said, like, I don't need to keep saying this. Mm-hmm. Mommy heard me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It'd be nice if the brothers and sisters could do that with each other. <laughs> really, really awesome. Okay. And then what would be, what's, what's another, another one of your favorite tips that you love to use in your system? Well, the, the sports caster, we, mm. we mentioned it before, but that for siblings, I mean, I actually think that you can encourage them to listen to each other. I know you can encourage them to listen to each other. And that's a huge conflict resolution skill for them for life and for their relationship. So saying things like, you know, instead of jumping in and being a referee, um, to be a sportscaster and to say, you know, I see that you're holding this toy and looking really angry and it looks like you're, you know, crying and you're saying, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, I, I can tell this is a tough one for you guys. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're each telling me these things. Do I have it correct? Did I get every, mm-hmm. all the information from both of you? Mm-hmm. And maybe even saying, um, I hear, I hear, you know, Mary saying, you know, this. And saying to the other one, can you repeat that back to her so she knows that you heard her? Because a lot of times, I mean, adults are terrible at this as well. Like we want to jump in with our own, but no, no, but I, but this, that, and the other. And to say, hold on, you're, you're going to have a second to share your idea. Um, we just want to make sure that Mary got her idea across. Can you listen to her and let her know that you heard her? Mm-hmm. And it's such an essential listening skill mm-hmm. that adults work on as well. And if you can start practicing it with siblings when they're, mm-hmm. when they're young, I mean, they're so far ahead of the game. It's amazing. Yeah. So okay. trying to facilitate their listening to each other. And I, I have so many people say to me, that's, there's no way like that. You're just expecting way too much of kids. And mm-hmm. I consistently hear that over and over. And then I hear people being surprised at how capable their kids are because they really are. And that's one of the main ideas of this book and our work with families is that Kids are so much more capable than we give them credit for in a lot of ways. They can come up with their own solutions. They can listen to each other. They do want to be part of a group. They do have a, a first, you know, they have the capacity for empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so nurturing that is really what it's all about. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, out of everything that we've discussed or perhaps we haven't discussed, what would you say is your top tip to parents who are listening right now when dealing with frustrating situations? 
what we find in ALP is that the hardest step to remember is the A step. Mm -hmm. So what I always tell parents is time is your friend, unless somebody's about to, you know, run in front of a car or grab a sharp knife, take a moment, take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. think, you know, it, it helps sometimes to have a few pat a, a phrases in your pocket, like I hear you or I get it. Or, mm-hmm. um, but always give yourself, and that's being attuned and kind and empathic to yourself. Give yourself a moment to center yourself before you have a knee jerk reaction and, and, and try to come up with a, a response that's chosen rather than automatic. Mm-hmm. And time is your friend. Mm-hmm. So important. Thank you so much for that. And give me the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you and your book and all the great things that you're doing over there? Our website is thehappysleeper.com, as well as our social media, Instagram and Facebook are The Happy Sleeper. And on Amazon, you'll find Now Say This and The Happy Sleeper for all of these topics that we've covered. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much, both to you, Heather, and to you, Julie, for your insight and your strategies. I love your system. I think it's simple and straightforward, something that everybody can do and that they can generalize to a lot of situations. So I really appreciate you talking to us about it today. Thank you for having us. It was fun. Thank you so much. Oh, well, many thank yous to you. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram. We are going to be going back and forth with Heather and Julie um, with the Happy Sleeper. And we're going to be going back and forth. I'll be putting up memes the quotes from this podcast, little tips, and we will share these wise uh, words with the world. It's really important. I'd love for you to take those memes and share it with your friends. And if you love this podcast like I did, and my goodness, was it helpful, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people will learn about Heather and Julie and their book and all the great solutions that they have so they can use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so so much for tuning in to have to talk to kids about anything for more information on books articles speaking engagements or curriculum please visit drrobinsilverman.com so many podcasts up there show notes will be up there as well and as always i look forward to weathering the storm and enjoying the sunny side of life together and please remember even on the days when you fall short you've got this you're here you're getting the information you need i know it's not easy but never forget there's always tomorrow Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.